electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, a new record for stocks, even as a read on inflation comes in hotter than expected. So what does that say about the prospects for a summer sizzle? We'll debate that with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Brenda Vangelo is the CIO of Sandhill Global Advisors, Steve Weiss, Pete Nigerian, along as well. Let me check the markets. We did mention that new record high for the S&P brushing off that CPI report. In fact, anything over 4232, that's the number you want to keep your eye on today because that will be a new closing high. We're going to discuss that and that question we raised at the top about a summer sizzle. But first, let's get to Steve Leisman. He has some breaking news on the economy. Steve? Scott, thanks very much. The Federal Reserve reporting that household net worth rose to a record $137 trillion, up by $5 trillion in the first quarter. There were big gains in real estate, big gains in equity holdings by by, by households. Corporate debt also is on the rise again. Maybe that's a good sign. Companies are borrowing. A record increase in real estate wealth, equity holdings by households, up by $3.2 trillion. Real estate holdings up, I believe this is a record, I can't go back any further, up by $1 trillion. Debt overall up 5.8%. There were gains in household debt, business debt, and federal government debt. But this is a big number here. Real estate equity, the percentage of equity uh, by households is up to 67%. That's the highest level since 1990. Bottom line, Scott, as of the end of the first quarter, households had an awful lot of money they sure did. Uh, the wealth effect uh, times a lot, <laughs> Steve, uh, throughout a whole yeah. swath of, of the economy. We appreciate it. Steve Leisman, thank you very much, our senior economics reporter. Let's bring in the gang now. Um, you know, Steve Weiss, this is a bullish sign. And if you take what happened today, if I told you the CPI was going to run hot and everybody was waiting for that number and rates would tick lower, we're at 147 on the 10-year as we have this conversation here and stocks higher. The S&P hits a new record. I don't know. Maybe you would have said, I don't think that's going to be the case. But it is, and I wonder what that means to you. Yeah, I definitely would have said that's not the case. I was worried about a, a hot number. Hotter than what we saw. I think the number that came out, even though it was above expectations, was already absorbed into the market. Nobody's surprised it's running high. What it means to me is that with rates coming down is that we have a market that's going to continue to rise into the end of the year. I don't think you'll see an explosion, explosive move up in the indices, but I think that if you're, that if you're very picky in terms of sectors, in terms of individual stocks with idiosyncratic stories and risk, that you can do very well and far outperform the market. So we've said it so many times that the stock picker's market, it'll continue to go, it's panacea. And the best news about all this is, is that the Fed has tremendous credibility. And I buy into the thesis 
that inflation is transitory and the market's buying into it. So it's tough to see any real bumps coming along here because anything that's, that comes out be transitory. Now, if it goes on for six months, that's a different story. But I don't think that's what's going to happen because supply chains are coming back to life. And we had VW coming out today and saying third quarter, you will get our semis that we need. So I, th I think it's Goldilocks right here. So I'm nearly fully invested. Now, I think. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. I mean, I, I really do. Brenda, that's what this is all about. It's a fact that the market trusts the Fed, at least for now. And that's good enough because, OK, so inflation's going up. Market thinks it's going to be transitory. Should we buy stocks now? I think there's certainly an argument for owning stocks here. I mean, the stock market, if you look back over the last three months, the S&P really hasn't done much of anything. And it's been against a backdrop of improving fundamentals, incredible earnings growth. So we've had a lot of positive things happening and the market hasn't really reacted. We've been kind of in this wait and see moment, I think, with regard to inflation, because that's all anybody has wanted to talk about. But here we are and we're getting the real numbers. And we can see looking through that some of the categories that have experienced the most increase, it, it probably it's not sustainable over a longer period. So perhaps some of it is transitory. I think only time's going to tell, though, um, as we move throughout the year, whether some of these price increases will stick or not. Uh, but I agree that, that this is not a bad moment um, to be invested in the stock market. Certainly, if we look at alternatives uh, within the bonds being the alternative, it's definitely a better place to be. I mean, even though rates have ticked lower during this time frame, we just think against the backdrop of improving economic growth and inflation getting at least back to normalized levels, that rates are not likely to stay where they're at today. So, Josh Brown, Steve Weiss used the word Goldilocks. Is this how a summer surge in stocks begins because of how the market reacted to what the inflation read was today? And it didn't seem to be all, you know, in a fuss about it. Well, we talk all the time about whether or not uh, the Fed believes uh, inflation is transitory or some aspects of inflation is transitory. The market believes that inflation is transitory and the market may end up being wrong. But that is the only read through that I can give you based on price action in reaction to uh, the news that we've been getting really since April. Uh, hey, and one thing I would point and you, one thing I would point and out, you, though, forgive me for interrupting you. For, forgive me for interrupting you real quick. You're the one who, and I'll give it back to you, please forgive me for, for doing this, but you're the one who always says price is the thing, right? Believe in price. Yeah. You can say whatever you want, but price tells the story. Well, yeah, because price is, is people voting with money, right? So the, the world is filled with people who write newsletters for a living and there's no money behind it. So what is the, what is the money saying? And again, the money can change its mind. So the, the market is dynamic, but uh, at, at this current moment, the market is saying, yes, higher prices will stick, but we're not going to see 5% uh, year over year um, uh, price growth for as far as the eye can see it. It probably moderates this fall. Why will it moderate? Well, a combination of manufacturing coming back online. They're not going to be shipping uh, trucks without chips for very much longer. Um, some aspects of construction and building. We're starting to see buyers for new homes get sticker shock. Uh, because of uh, price increases over the last six months. So that might cool that market off. Uh, but then there are elements of inflation that are here to stay. And by the way, as we've talked about, forget the comps year over year, which is what these headline numbers are. Let's just look at comps versus 2019. We're still above what the Fed thought its target for inflation should be 
for a long time. If you go May 2019 versus now, it's about 2.5% growth per year. So it's 5% over two years. That is inflation above the Fed's target. So even if we pull out the base effect stuff from 2020, we're still running a little bit hot here. And that's undeniable. So it's not that we shouldn't worry about higher prices. It's that clearly the stock market is and has been processing those higher prices in the economy. And on balance, it's saying this is not ruinous. Pete, you're with me on the phone. We're, we're trying to work on your feed, and I hope we get that taken care of. But in the meantime, you've heard the conversation here. Yeah. Are we going to have a summer surge for stocks, given where rates are and where sentiment seems to be, and that tremendous wealth effect that Steve Leisman laid out at the very top of our program today? Yeah, I, I, I do think so, Scott. I think there are plenty of opportunities out there, and especially with, with the fact that when technology, specifically the FANG names, start to pick up a little bit, and be a participation in this rally in a much more meaningful way than they have, like they were in the latter part of 2020, I think we have a great opportunity in front of us for that potentially. But we, have, of course, absolutely are watching this, uh, the, the transitory side of inflation and what we're looking at there and, and what that really is meaning. But the economic growth is, is clear, and I think that we, we see ourselves on a pretty interesting path right now. And take a look at the volatility. I mean, Josh was just saying, you know, price matters because that's where money goes. Well, that's exactly what the volatility index is telling us right now as well, because people are betting with their money and with their money, they are they're pressing down where the volatility was when we were up in the mid 20s and even the low 30s for a while. And over the last couple of weeks, we have found ourselves really into a 52 week low end of the VIX, which is in the 15 and somewhere maybe call it 18. So 15 and a half to 18. That's the range where we are right now, and that's the movement of the S&P that moves that volatility index. So uh, we are seeing it at these very depressed levels, at least relative to what we've seen in the past. So I do think that there is great potential there for the possibility that we could have a heck of a summer, actually, that really could heat up. Now, a lot of that does have to do with where are we in inflation in the next couple of weeks, couple of months, and as we get towards the end part of the year, but certainly as of right now, it looks like people are feeling very, very comfortable about things with uh, a few different sides of it as well. When we talk about some of the sticker shock for some of these homes, because they have they have gotten to absolutely ridiculous levels on some of the new home building. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's funny, you know, speaking of feeling good, I'm, I'm sure Tom Lee is feeling pretty good about his call. Remember, he had forty four hundred and he thought we were going to hit that in the first half of the year for a lot of the reasons that we've discussed now. So maybe his call is looking even better. Now, 4,400 happens to be the number for the end of the year that J.P. Morgan has put on the stock market. Let's welcome in our headliner, Dubrovko Lakos. He is that firm's head of U.S. equity strategy. Dubrovko, welcome back. It's nice to see you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, yeah, you know, your, your, um, your colleague, uh, Marco Kalanovic, really got us rolling earlier in the week where he said the next leg higher for the rally is is likely upon us now. He talked about 4,400. I'm assuming that that's a team call. You and, and Marco working in concert to come up with a thesis on where you think the markets can go. Are you as bullish as he is? Yes, uh, I'm definitely on the on the positive camp. You know, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, um, you know, I, I um, you know, I, I did talk a little bit about a potential consolidation. And that was really uh, surrounding potential fear around very, very hot uh, NFP prints and 
maybe a little bit higher taper risk. But since then, uh, my, my, my conviction, if anything, has moved, moved higher. Uh, and I think, you know, I heard earlier on the show talk about, I think from Steve on, on Goldilocks, basically a situation where growth remains above, above par. And I think the inflation outlook still remains elevated, but manageable. And I think that bodes very well for risky assets and certainly for equities. And so on a margin, I'm more positive. And I do agree that this summer, uh, I think the market continues to break out. Wow. I mean, because, right, growth good, rates low. And as Steve Leisman also laid out with us the other day from his new reporting about the extraordinary measures that the Fed was going to go to to make sure the market was clear on where it stands and that a taper is not going to happen for a while. And even when it does, it's going to be incremental and tapering isn't hiking, yada, 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 yada. But you get the picture it does lay out a scenario where you can make a Goldilocks case, can you not? Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the cyclical side, I mean, look, the cyclical side, obviously some areas uh, of cyclicals are more advanced. Uh, some areas are still lagging. Uh, so I think one needs to sort of be, become a little bit more nuanced and differentiated than say six months ago when all cyclicals were firing on all cylinders. Uh, but I think what's interesting is on the value side, I would start to also add some pockets of growth that, you know, to, to me are looking garpy. And so when you start to get a little bit broader market participation, I think that is a very powerful combination to, to lift the market higher. Oh, that's interesting, too, because there is a good debate right now as to whether growth is going to come back in favor. You know, David Costin, your, your competitor over at Goldman Sachs, says value is, is likely to still outperform growth in the near term. But towards the end of this year and into early 2022, growth is going to have its way again. Kathy Wood, of course, the, the ETF rock star of the ARK funds, was talking about a return to some of those growth stocks as well. So you share that view that maybe now these growth stocks have come in, their valuations aren't as um, egregious as they may have been, and now they're opportunistic. Yes, I mean, I think the debate here is, you know, growth could get a bit of a bounce given that it hasn't done that well. But I think the big debate is, is this bounce sustained or not? So in other words, is this bouncing growth tactical and then it gets faded away? Faded away. Our house view is still one where yields likely move higher, oil prices uh, with high conviction move higher from here. And so that should continue to be supportive of the value trade. Now, I like to think about uh, not just value, but I like to think about some other dynamics. I like to think about a rotation from domestic reopening towards international reopening because this recovery is not synchronized, right? And then I also like to think about areas um, of like where, you know, goods consumption has really been the hot area so far, but I think service-based consumption has been a big laggard and that could start to also pick up. And so I, I would like to think about value also through those angles as well. Okay, Josh Brown has a question for you, Dubrovko. Uh, the technicians that I read are pointing out the fact that cyclical stocks are now slowing down and or rolling over. This isn't definitely a negative because they've been on absolute fire and many of these stocks have doubled and in some cases tripled. So I don't think a pullback is the end of the world. But when you see industrials, materials, financials cooling off, you see the lack of reaction in the 10-year yields to what can only be interpreted as uh, inflation data running hot. Then you take a look at XHB, housing stocks rolling over, and transports rolling over. Um, and really, the only cyclical sectors continuing to make new 52-week highs is energy. 
and we know that's a very quixotic sector, and we shouldn't hang our hats on that. Um, how much how much confidence do you have that that price action uh, is just a temporary blip in a bigger rally versus the possibility that we've seen a peak for these cyclical stocks versus the market? And I'm going to give you something from Costin, maybe that you'll react to specifically. He points out that of all of the periods of time where value has outperformed growth, the average length of those rallies is about nine months, and we're in month seven. No, that's that's fair, and I think that's fair if you sort of look at it versus the recent history. But I think what we're going through right now is also something somewhat unprecedented. And so you you know just like we have an we had an um, overshoot to the downside, we could be exhibiting an overshoot to the upside that is bigger than what we are accustomed to seeing in the prior cycle. So I think that part. It's hard to hard to really call. Now, I did mention earlier the need for becoming more nuanced and differentiating. If you look at our last report, we're still very positive on energy. And that's that's basically because we're still very positive on oil. And I think oil has some very interesting dynamics that continue to push prices higher. Uh, the bank trade, the financial trade, yes, it is more crowded than energy, but I think st it still continues to do well in this backdrop. Industrials, however, uh, parts of materials like chemicals, parts of transportation, we didn't know it already a few weeks back, are probably areas where the risk-reward is tougher. And so personally, my excitement there is not as high. So that's why I'm saying I think there is the need to sort of do a little bit more stock picking, a little bit more differentiation. I don't think you just go necessarily buy all beta equally, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And uh, I know Steve Weiss has a question for you, too. Before we do that, though, i got to get to Josh Lipton. He has a market flash for us on electronic arts. Josh, what's the story here? That's right, Scott. We do have some news from EA here. Hackers have broken into EA and stolen uh, game source code and related internal tools. This is according to Motherboard, uh, which says that source code uh, was taken for FIFA 21. Um, they also took source code and tools for the Frostbite engine that powers a number of EA games. And they're advertising this now for sale in various underground hacking forums. I did reach out to EA. I haven't gotten an official comment yet, but they did give one to Motherboard board and let me read that to you they say listen they're investigating this recent incident but ea is saying here in a statement to motherboard no player data was accessed and we have no reason to believe there's any risk to player privacy they go on to say they've already made security improvements they do not expect they say an impact on our games or our business they say they're actively now working with law enforcement scott back to you yeah josh lipton thanks seeing a, a bit of an impact on shares down a couple of percentage points on that news, yet another story about a cyber attack. Um, jo Josh, sorry, Josh Very Brown, quickly, you want to weigh in on at, that? I yeah. do. Take a look at fire. Take a look at FireEye up four percent plus, rallying on that news, and then take a look at my favorite CrowdStrike, uh, headed back toward its all-time high, up four percent, almost nine points today. Um, clearly, the more headline risk we see. For ransomware, which is now a full-blown epidemic, let's not kid ourselves, uh, the more attention uh, that the relatively small handful of cybersecurity stocks will continue to receive. So Dubrovko, just to, just to button up at this point, is there only individual stock risk to, to this story? Do, do you worry about any sort of broad market risk to, to this spate of cyber attacks that we've seen, either large or small? Huh. I mean, yes, there is. I think at some point, I think this issue could definitely become even bigger and bigger as we as we become more and more dependent on 
on the internet of things, if you will. Uh, you know, at this point, yes, it's really sort of happening at an individual company level. Uh, but certainly there is the potential of waking up one day and, and sort of facing this really ugly cloud where, you know, uh, the attacks are sort of more, you know, broad, broad, broadly felt. Uh, yeah, so I think it's a risk. Uh, so it's, it's a tough one to put our, put our hands around, but, but certainly it's something to pay very, very close attention to. So I think the, the theme that Josh highlights it's a hot theme. It's not going away. It's secular. Yeah, yeah. I'm, of course, it's hard, uh, if not impossible, to, to quantify any sort of risk magnitude to the overall market. But certainly, to your point, uh, a, a good one worth keeping an eye on. OK, let's get back to the conversation about where your money's going from here. Steve Weiss, I said you had a question for Dubrovko. The floor is yours. Thank you. So, Dubrovko, first of all, congratulations. You've had a great call on wavering and your bullishness to this point. But Help us solve the mystery of the 10-year. So I wouldn't have been surprised to see it tick up a little bit today. I wouldn't have been surprised to see the yield flat. But here we have it again with a 1.4 handle on it. So in your conversation, you talk to so many institutional managers. Is everybody just short and covering because they see no fear about inflation buying into the Fed thesis? Is that what's going on or is there true value there? No, I, look, I don't think it's that straightforward. I think there's a lot of, um, how should I put it, head scratching taking place. Uh, for instance, uh, purely anecdotal, I see still a relatively big uh, dose of disagreement between the macro, the fixed income community, uh, and sort of these macro fixed income investors that I talk to versus equity investors, and especially on the long only side, where you know one side doesn't necessarily see yields breaking out uh, higher uh, soon this summer, perhaps later in the year. The, the, the other side sees, however, continued inflation pressure and yields likely moving higher. So, yeah, I don't think it's that straightforward. Uh, there, there's, there's really sort of two sides to the view, and they're really going at each other. Uh, and there is a pretty uh, big dose of disagreement, especially when you sort of look at equity versus uh, macro investors. Yeah. Hey, Dubrovko, it's always good to talk to you. Uh, some wild swings in the market we need to keep our eye on. We'll talk to you again soon. Look forward to doing that. That's Dubrovko Lakos over at J.P. Thanks. Morgan. So let, let's do this, Pete, because, you know, we talked about those who think that growth is going to come back in favor. And I mentioned, you know, Kathy Wood making this big call. We discussed that with Jim Cramer yesterday on our show. I want you to hear what Cramer said, then I'll take it from there. I agree that with, with the 10-year trading the way it is, that growth is going to be back. But I am going for the barbell. All right, Pete. So he makes a distinction, does Jim, between going back to growth, but calls these, you know, extraordinarily high multiple stocks, the kind that Kathy Wood, uh, those type stocks, quote, head spinning. So do you need to make a differentiation between growth and very high valuation growth? Because it's not to say that there aren't some in that universe that could still work in this environment that maybe aren't so tied to the pandemic or aren't through the roof in, in terms of valuation? Sure. I mean, I, I absolutely, Scott. I mean, there is a differentiation between there are growth stocks out there that actually trade at some incredible value, quite frankly, and, and yet there are all of these, uh, these multiple stocks that we talk about each and every day, where I think that from an investment standpoint, it's just really, really difficult, I think, at least. I think those are tradable stocks. I think that you want to have uh, your risk in place when you're in a lot of these various names with these high multiples. Because of that, I think that's where the derivatives markets really come into play. But it doesn't mean you have to completely avoid them because in most cases, 
We're talking about extremely liquid companies in terms of the derivatives markets themselves that give you the opportunity to be a part of these, these names as well if they're going to move to the upside. But, like I say, there are plenty of names out there that really do stand for in the growth category that don't necessarily trade at these incredible multiples. And I think those are the stocks that, that you're going to want in terms of stocks themselves as opposed to having to be in the derivatives market. Okay, so that takes me square to Zoom, Josh. Upgraded to a buy today over at Argus. They established a price target of $440. That's 32% higher from here. It's a name that you obviously own and have talked about on numerous occasions. What do you think about this call? And again, in the context of the kind of conversation we're having about the Kathy Wood, the ARC stocks, ones that have been tied to the pandemic and whether they're worth really riding from here forward. I think that Zoom has built a user base and um, sped up adoption of video calls as a good alternative uh, to to in-person meetings for the entire business community worldwide in such a way that even though we'll see the growth of adoption decelerate, I don't think these enterprises that have signed up with Zoom are just going to say, oh, there's a vaccine. Let's stop Zooming. I run a business. I have 41 employees. I don't have people crisscrossing the country on airplanes right now, and I don't think I will six months from now either because of how effective Zoom communications have been uh, for our clients, our partners, our vendors. So it's not that everything's going to be a Zoom all the time. There will be things that go back to in-person, but this opportunity is big enough, I believe, that Zoom's platform, the sheer scale of how many millions of customers it has daily using its services are now being, uh, I, I think ha- I think that potential has has been uh, ignored, and I think the pessimism for you know mobile mobile office is is uh, probably gotten carried away. The pendulum swung too far. So I think the stock works here in the mid 300s. I don't know that it's going back to 600, but I'm happy being a shareholder right now. Yeah, Steve Weiss, uh, another one square in, in focus here. Teladoc, right? And and you bought some puts. On Teladoc, way I, different story. I, I did. I had been short. I had been short Teladoc in the past. Uh, look, I talked to a lot of docs. Uh, some won't use it um, because, again, it, it hits their margin somewhat. On some docs, on other docs, it increases it because they're able to do more visits. But the issue for me is Amazon came out yesterday, and while it's been known that Amazon is in the space and they've been using it for their own employees. They also announced they've got a number of large corporations that are using it as well. So I think they'll be Amazon. It's not unique to Teladoc what they do. There are other services out there, and some aren't doing so well. So I think the I, I think Teladoc's become commoditized somewhat. So I just can't own it, and I think that the valuation's too high given Amazon coming into the market. Okay, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, Pete has a new tech buy you're going to want to hear about. Also straight ahead, a reopening stock. It's up more than 20 percent in the past three months, up 90 percent in the past year. Now there's a bullish new call saying it's going to double. It's going up double digits from here. We'll debate that next in our call of the day. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back. Two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. 
B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I'm Seema Modi, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The wife of Mexican drug kingpin El Chapo has pleaded guilty to drug charges. She also admitted that she helped her husband's multi-billion dollar drug empire. The FDA extending the shelf life of Johnson & Johnson's COVID vaccine from three to four and a half months. The move will be welcome news to health officials in Ohio and other states where hundreds of thousands of doses were nearing their expiration dates. President Biden and U.K. Prime Minister Johnson meeting for the first time ahead of the G7 summit and seeking to highlight the special relationship between their two nations. Full coverage of their meeting and what Biden hopes to achieve at the G7 meeting tonight on the News with Shepard Smith. And in France, a slap is apparently worth four months in jail. That's the sentence handed down to the man who slapped French President Emmanuel Macron in the face. The 28-year-old has acknowledged he struck Macron, but says it was not premeditated. Quite the video, Scott. Back to you. Okay. Thanks for that, Seema Modi. All right. Pete Najarian, I mentioned you have a new buy, and it is Cisco, the tech company. Talk to me. I'm busy because of the well, fact that I was having issues and now oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm connecting you a different way. But I love Cisco. I, I've been talking about this name for a while. I think that there's plenty of promise there. And I think that even though it's already had some upside movement this year, that's been pretty extraordinary. I think there's a lot more room to run. I love what Chuck Robbins has done with this company. They've done an unbelievable job with acquisition. And when you look at the balance sheet and the fundamental story, it's all in place. And I think the rest of the second half of this year, I think Cisco has plenty of room to, to continue this move to the upside. All right. We'll, uh, we'll keep our eyes there, uh, up one and a half percent on that. All right. Let's get to our calls of the day. I'm going to make you wait a second for this stock that's up 90 percent in a year, because I first want to do one that got double upgraded today, Brenda, by Bank of America. Price target goes to 325. And that is Sherwin-Williams, a stock that you own. Think about this call late, but still OK. Yes, I would agree. It's a little late, um, but I think it is still okay. I mean, we've saw last year, you know, a huge um, growth coming from consumers uh, buying paint and repainting. It was an easy fix uh, for staying at home. Um, still think that the investment in homes is not done yet. Um, and with Sherwin-Williams, we could, should see a shift towards more contractor sales. Uh, certainly the housing starts numbers that we've seen have been supportive of that. Uh, so we do continue to think that there is going to be another leg to the story here, perhaps. And, you know, think that as things shake out and we all decide who's actually going to be working from home permanently or not, or how often they're going to be, I think that 
people's homes are going to be, you know, a continued place of investment. And, you know, paint is an easy place to invest relatively low cost. So we continue to think this is a great story. Okay, we will watch that one. And another stock you own is UPS. Pete, you own it too. Upgraded to overweight at JP Morgan today. The price target to 243 from 224, 20% upside from here. That is the one that's up 90% in one year. Okay, maybe this one's a little bit late too. If you're upgrading it to buy now and you're raising the price target to where you are today, but what do you think about this call? I think they are a little bit behind on this, Scott, but this is a a company that just came off one of the uh, actually the best earnings report that they've ever had. So it wasn't in the fourth quarter. It wasn't the holiday quarter. And yet they continue to produce. I think that you can look at FedEx. You can look at UPS. There are some some differences. There's no doubt about it. But both having an extraordinary year, extraordinary performance. And I think UPS has plenty of more room to the upside. That being said, I do think it's a little bit late because even though I think there is some room to the upside, when you look at the multiple and you look at the fundamental side of this story, I think that it's it's got room, but it's not a whole lot of room. As a matter of fact, if it if it reached up a few uh, a few more, 10, 10% or more, I think I might have to be out of there. Oh, okay. All right. You let us know. Uh, yeah. Steve Weiss, you have a pretty big position in, in XPO. I do. And, and XPO would have been up 10% yesterday, but the UPS analyst day was disappointing. I thought it was fine. XPO is breaking two companies. One is going to be GXO. The other is going to be XPO. And what's good about it is right now it's not investment grade. GXO will immediately be investment grade and XPO shortly thereafter. One will be the freight side and GXO will be the logistics side. Two great businesses they increased their guidance yesterday on both halves. So I think it's a phenomenal story and that stocks should trade towards 200 once the street sees it breaks up, breaking up. OK. All right. Up next, Pete has unusual activity. Plus, as you know, June is Pride Month and all month long we are spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders and our own CNBC anchors and producers. Here is Goldman Sachs Managing Director of Corporate Communications, Maeve Duval. The way around stigma is through encouragement and support by those around you. I was very fortunate that when I decided to come out at Goldman Sachs exactly two years ago, I had that support from my colleagues. But there was one colleague in particular who sent me flowers on that day. This was a straight cisgender person. And that gesture, knowing that I had the support of somebody at the highest level of the firm, made all the difference to me. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, let's do it. Unusual activity, Pete. What are you seeing today for us? All right, Scott, I've got two of them for you. First one's going to be U.S. Steel. Now, we've seen this name on multiple occasions. We've talked about materials and energy and the movement to the upside, and U.S. Steel certainly falls into that category. With the stock trading just underneath $28, Scott, we had a buyer of 6700 of the August, so they're going out a little bit in time, the August 35 calls. They're looking for some nice upside. Those are going for about $1.40. One print of that was 5,500 options. So pretty aggressively bought, 
Very large player involved. I like that. I already own the stock, but I think this is a, a, some options that could really prove out to be something very extraordinary if indeed this stock starts moving all the way up towards that 35 level. Walgreens Boots is my next one. Now, this one's been pretty interesting as well. They've gone through the ups and the downs of everything, including what they've had to deal with, with supposedly the competition coming in from Amazon. All the stock has done has gone a little bit higher and a little bit higher. Today, with the stock trading underneath 55, we got a buyer of the June 56 and a half calls in, in Walgreens, about 4,400 of those. They were only about 15 cents up to about 27 cents. Very inexpensive, and it gives us a great opportunity. I like what we're seeing there. I got one last one. I'm going to update for you guys, Tapestry. We had a nice hit on that last week. They were buying the June 11th expiring. Those are tomorrow. Expiring calls at the 41 strike. That stock moved. Those options flew to the upside. I am now out of that trade just as an update. Oh, appreciate the update. All right, retailer RH posting blowout earnings. Shares are surging. The investment committee gives their take on that next along with their top consumer plays. There's RH up 15%. Plus, don't miss the CNBC Evolve Global Summit. That's coming up on June 16th. To register, you can go to cnbcevents.com slash evolve. We'll be right back. Shares of RH, we just showed them to you, surging today. Earnings beat expectations. The company raised its outlook. Kramer was raving about it this morning. He loved the quarter. He loved the call. He loves the stores. He says, so far from a store, it's an experience. Now, Josh, nobody owns RH, which maybe you're kicking yourselves that you don't. It's up 178% over a year. It's up 56% year to date. What do you think the story is here with this one? Well, one of my favorite things about it is that it's a 74 PE ratio. And I think the largest shareholder is Warren Buffett. So I kind of I like I like that idea that um, even people steeped in the Graham and Dodd traditions about valuation, blah, 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 understand that when you have a pony that can run this fast, ultimately the growth is is something that is worth betting on, even at an elevated uh, valuation relative to the overall market. I miss this one. I don't know why I don't own it. I've been to the stores. The stores are sick. The rooftop restaurant in Manhattan is sick. I was at the one in Chicago. Scott, you and I were both in the city at the same time. Ridiculous. I should own this. I don't own it. It is experiential retail at its finest. Every boutique retailer should be trying to copy them right now. And the fetishization of of housing just really was like an unexpected tailwind that came into the picture and gave it even another boost above the growth rate we had already been witnessing in 2017, 18, 19. So I love everything about it. I'm not going to buy it here, uh, but I hate myself every time I see it. All of those reasons, Steve, that Josh just laid out is why you pay up for a stock like this, right? Relative to some other retail plays, these guys have it going on in so many different I'm ways. I'm going to wait until it goes to 1,000 and then pay up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no. Right, Steve, uh, though? I mean, from a valuation well, standpoint, that, that's, that's what you have yeah. to make a decision on, right? I mean, that is why you are willing to pay a higher valuation for some stocks relative to others. And the market is clearly willing to pay up for this one. Yeah, no, that's true. And you also have Wayfair that's had uh, equal performance. But I choose to not pay up for those because I think the multiple is still extremely high. And I do think the consumer is going to stay flush for a long time. And against consensus, it's going to be even more flush after the summer when they start going back to work. The ones that have been staying back, been going to the beach, they'll take the summer off. 
then you'll see the consumer even more flush. Look, I'm involved in a couple of names, uh, Target being one of them, which I'm sticking with, which has also done quite well, much more reasonably valued, and a small one, which I really haven't talked about, which is Academy Sports, which I've owned for a couple of months, which reported a blowout quarter yesterday, and that's selling at 10 times earnings. The stock's tripled. I haven't been there for the whole ride. It tripled since it launched as an IPO in October of last year. So I think there are other places to have value. Pete, I believe, still owns Lulu. That's been stuck in neutral, but yet they've got a moat there, and I don't think it's unreasonably valued at all. So there are other places where you can get your retail exposure without the nosebleed multiples that at some point, someday, are not going to stay there. All right, we're getting a look at ASO shares right now, making a move. All right, Pete, you finished this segment up by telling us your favorite retail name outside of Target. Sure. Uh, <laughs> probably TJ Maxx, quite honestly. Uh, you know, that's another one of these names that we've talked about many times on the show. And, and it's, you know, they, they've done things right and they, they are positioned well and they still trade it uh, what, what I would consider to be a decent valuation. One thing I'd say real quick about RH, though, yes, the multiple looks high. But when you look at the forward multiple and you look at the kind of growth that they've had going into this whole thing, the multiple actually is closer into the 30s. So it's a little bit more palatable, I think, when you look at it from that perspective. And I think we all missed this one, unfortunately, because when you look at restoration hardware and what they were able to do, it fit perfectly into the conditions that we found ourselves in. And to Josh's point, those roof decks, those are some of the best places to eat you can ever mm. be. So uh, they're doing everything right. Yeah, yeah, they, they mm. seem to be uh, for certain. All right, Pete, thanks. Ask Halftime's coming up next. Send your questions in by video. We'll play them on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We'll do it next. The Investment Committee, answering your questions. First up, Josh, a video question for you. Let's watch. Jerry Vance, Las Vegas, Nevada. Your thoughts on European banks such as LYG, DB, and Indian Bank IBN. Thank you. All right, Josh, what do you think? I, I, and I should remind everybody, too, remember how, how bullish Kramer was yesterday on Santander when we were talking about that massive individual billion-dollar bet in that BlackRock Europe ETF? So there's a lot of talk lately about what's going on in Europe. What do you think, Josh? I actually, of these three, I like the Indian bank the best. First of all, the entire Indian stock market is on fire. IBN is the third largest bank in the country. I don't know it fundamentally, so I'm going to give you the technicals. Long-term trend looks great hit an all-time high in February. It's definitely volatile, so if you're a buyer, maybe space out your purchases over time. Um, but th this one looks like it's going higher to me, and I like it better than the other two that you mentioned. Thank you for your question. All right. Yep, thank you very much for the question. Thanks for the answer, too. Brenda, to you, AbbVie or Gilead? That's from Joe in Brick, New Jersey. Better long-term purchase. Which one? Yeah, I mean, these are two real value plays within the pharmaceutical industry, 4% dividend yields. Our preference would be Gilead. They have nice free cash flow that's coming from the HIV franchise, yet they still should see growth in the future from a string of acquisitions that they've made recently, primarily within the oncology space. All right, thank you. Steve Weiss, a video question for you. Hello, this is Tom Shoulders from Rochester, Michigan. I have a question for Stephen Weiss. I bought Ericsson about a month and a half ago. I bought the stock and the 2022 January options. Is this stock going to pay off or is it time to say goodbye? Thank you. All right. We appreciate you reaching out, Tom. What do you tell hey, Tom. Us, Steve? Yeah, thanks, Tom, for the question. Look, I still own it. I haven't sold a share. 
I was speaking to and had lunch with one of the uh, top IT people, top technical people of the big three uh, providers, uh, AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, I'll let you guess which one. And this is inning one of a long cycle of 5G. And you have Ericsson, you have Nokia. Huawei's out of the picture. So yes, I think this keeps going, particularly with the small cells that you need for 5G. They'll produce a lot more of the equipment there. So high quality company. And when Europe gets going, you really see it take off. By that, I mean the stock market's even more so than they are now. So I like Ericsson quite a bit. I'm continuing to be there. All right, last but not least, Pete, got a video question for you. In my portfolio, 8% silent shares of IBM. Would you think I should buy more add to my portfolio or I should sell some? Have a good day. Thank you, guys. You're doing a fantastic job. Okay, Pete, yeah, so this is an interesting one. It's not, just, it's, it's not just talking about IBM. It's the fact that it's also an 8% weighting in his portfolio right now. So you have to maybe tackle it two different ways. But what do you think? Sure. And that's a pretty decent percentage. I, I can tell you this. I still like this company and I like it even more than I did probably a couple of years ago because of the changes that have been made. And because of that, I think that the Red Hat influence that's going on in IBM right now is going to be something that's going to be very meaningful over the next couple of years. So I'd, I'd either add to it, but I certainly wouldn't want to sell any of the shares. All right. Good stuff. Final trades coming up next. All right, Pete, why don't you start us off with final trades? I hear you got something new. Absolutely. We're going to do Schlumberger. I've seen some activity in there, Scott. I think this thing is going to continue to move to the upside. I like the beta names and energy. Okay. Well, we're just rubbing it in Josh's face now. All right. Brenda. <laughs> so TJX, I agree with Pete. Um, and I think this is a great company to own for reopening. Uh, I think they should capture a lot of consumer dollars. They have great inventory quality right now. And the stock is also at a very inexpensive valuation. Okay. I mean, it's two straight dates, Josh, that's SLB gets pulled. I don't have much time, but go ahead. I hope it gets delisted. Amazon up another 44 <laughs> sticks today, very quietly up 4% on right. the week, just below a breakout point. Yep. All right. Weiss, give me a name, please. Porsche. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.